magnified and glorified. God, we love you. We thank you. We want to follow you. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us now as we open your word to listen to what you have to say to us about how we can better follow you, how we can better glorify your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If I were to have two stacks of bumper stickers at the door out there, and every one of you had to pick one of these two, one, one or the other bumper stickers. Everyone had to pick one. One of the stacks says, I follow Christ. And the other one says, I follow the Antichrist. Which one? I can't imagine that there would be anybody in here that would pick the, I follow the Antichrist. Even if you wanted to, you probably would be too ashamed to pick it. Nobody would pick that one. Or if it said, one stack of bumper stickers said, I follow God's ways, and the other stack said, I follow my own ways. Again, I think we know everybody would pick the one, you know, we're at church here, we're supposed to do the right thing. Everybody would pick the one that says, I follow God's ways. Or as we've been studying in the book of 1 John already, what if I had a bumper sticker, one that says, I walk in the light, and the other one says, I walk in the darkness. Which one would you pick? Well, we're studying this little book in the New Testament, 1 John. It's about five chapters long. Again, I encourage you to be reading it and rereading it. Maybe some of you have joined me in this. I'm reading it every Saturday in preparation for Sunday. So we still have six weeks left after today. You can still read it the next six Saturdays if you want to. There's some powerful stuff in here. And in there, there's a lot of contrast. And one of those contrasts has to do with how we're walking. Are we following God's ways or our own ways? We're walking in the light or in the darkness. And today we're going to see a pretty stark passage about the Antichrist. And for those of you that are visiting today, we're talking about this because it's in God's Word. We're going through the book of John and we just want to hear what God says. And today's passage is going to talk about the Antichrist. We need to be aware of the deception in this world that, that we could fall into. Now, could it really happen to us? Could any of us really follow the Antichrist? I mean, when you put it like that, it sounds highly unlikely that any of us would just all of a sudden say, yeah, I think I'll switch allegiances and follow that Antichrist. Sounds highly, highly unlikely. But what if I phrased it this way? Are any of us in danger of drifting toward our own desires and perhaps ever so slightly away from the will of God, away from the truth of God? Now, if we say it like that, it seems like we all know that there's temptation that we face. We all know that we're weak in and of ourselves and that we need to be careful about the way that we go. Here's the problem. If we reject God's ways, we're walking in the darkness. That's what John said earlier in chapter 1. If we continually walk in the darkness, we are in deep trouble. So we need to be aware of how we're walking. But it doesn't have to go bad. It doesn't... We're, we're certainly not destined or doomed to follow the wrong way. In fact, in our passage today, we're going to look at 1 John 2, verses 12 through 17. And the first thing that John does in there is he gives a reassurance to the people that he's been teaching. He has some kind words for them to say. And then after that, he gives them a couple of warnings about the world and about the Antichrist. But he, he starts it off by saying, I know you and I know that you know Christ. 
So there's, there's certainly far more than just a ray of hope here. There is something that we can cling to here. So what I want to do in my, pas- in my sermon today is I just want to follow the passage. I want to give a reassurance to you, and then I want to give you two warnings, just like our passage does here today. And I want to use an illustration to help you follow along what I'm doing here. I want you to imagine a Boy Scout leader. And the Boy Scout troop all year long has been preparing for their end-of-the-year camping trip. And just a couple days before the trip, the Boy Scout leader addresses the troop, and he says to them, you're excited, aren't you? we're, we're going on this wonderful trip, and you all are prepared. That's the motto of the Boy Scouts, be prepared and you are prepared. All year long we've been working on things like tying knots and starting campfires and cooking your food and pitching tents, all these things. You guys are ready, and we're going to have some fun. But I want you to know that there's a couple of dangers about our campsite. One of them is, I don't want you to go walking on the trails at night. Just, you know, during the daytime, go ahead, but at night, please don't go walking on the trails. And the other danger is don't go in the river. It's during this time of the year that the current is just too strong, and even those of you with swimming merit badges, you could get swept away. And then he says, but we're, we're not going to cancel the trip. I'm not saying that, oh, it's so dangerous out there that we're not going to go. What I'm just saying is I want you to know that there are dangers out there. You're prepared, but you need to know about the pitfalls that are out there. And that's the way it is for us today. We can know Christ. God has given us everything that we need to walk in this world, but we need to know the dangers out there. So first I want to give you the reassurance, and it's this. We can know God. We can know God. 1 John 2, verses 12 through 14. John says, I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you have known the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. These are tender words spoken from an older man to the younger Christians that he had poured his life into. And it's like these verses are an aside. I've read the book of 1 John before, and I've kind of looked at these verses and thought, what are they doing here? But I think I get it now. I think what John is saying is, I have a couple of difficult things that I want to say to you, but before I get there, I want to just let you know what I see in you. And I see that you have come to know Christ, and you're strong in him, and you've overcome the evil one. And in here he addresses three groups of people. The first one is children. And I actually, I, I read a couple of commentators this week, and I think I agree with what they say, that children probably is the whole group of them, that John is kind of writing as the spiritual father and he's writing to his children. And then there's two groups within that group that he writes to. The fathers are the the more mature or the spiritual leaders, and then the young men are the younger people. And by the way, I think that these terms are are gender-inclusive, meaning that women are included in them as well. That's just the way the language worked in that day. But John's encouragement for these groups of people is that in Christ, listen to all these things, we have been forgiven... We have overcome the evil one. We're strong. And perhaps most importantly, we have known the Father. So as you think about the possible pitfalls and dangers that we'll get to in just a little bit here, he says, I want you to know these things. Forgiveness is in Jesus Christ. God wants us to know him. That's one of the wonderful things about this book of 1 John as a whole, is that God wants a relationship with us. 
He has done everything necessary for us to know him. Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. We had a penalty that was against us. We could never have taken care of it. Like Dan said, we could never begin to pay it back. Jesus Christ took our sin, took our penalty upon himself, died for our sins so that any who receive him as Savior and Lord can have eternal life and a relationship with God that starts now and lasts for the rest of eternity. And those are wonderful things. I mean, some of you have heard that so many, many times and maybe we forget how wonderful it is. But John just wanted to reassure his readers and us that these things are true of us who have given our lives to Christ. We know him, we're protected by him, we've overcome the evil one. And the reason that we have overcome is because Jesus overcame. We must never separate ourselves from that truth. It is in Christ that we have all these wonderful things. And I want you to notice something about the verbs in verses 12 through 14. A lot of them are past tense. John is saying these things are already true of you. They're true because of what Jesus Christ did. And when you came to him, these things became true of you. So before we get to the warning, John just wants us to know that we don't need to fear what's coming around the corner. Yes, there's an enemy who hates us, but our response doesn't need to be fear. As John writes to the young men in verse 14, he says, You are strong, and the word of God lives in you. And if we cling to the truth of God found in the word of God, we have the strength to face whatever comes our way. So take heart. God protects his children. We can know him. We can walk with him. And now that we know this, we're ready for these two warnings. So the first warning is this. Don't love the world. Don't love the world. 1 John 2, 15-17, he says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. And by the way, one of you who uh, responded to my emails about the theme verse in the book said, chapter, er, verse 17 here, the world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Now, as we're talking about the world here, you might say, wait a second, doesn't God love the world? Why should we not love the world if God loves the world? John 3.16, for God so loved the world, right? Why are we not supposed to love? Well, it's because we're talking about the world in two different contexts. In John 3.16, the world means the, the people of the world. God loves the people of the world, and we are to love the people of the world as well. But here, in our chapter today, John is using the word world to talk about the evil forces, the wickedness of this world. And we're to stay away from that. Some things in life look really good, but aren't good. And let me give you an example of that. I think I've used this story here before, but it's such a vivid one in my mind that I'll use it again here. I have spent about a year of my life overseas, a lot of that doing missions work. And uh, one summer I was in China. And the hardest thing for me, I would say, about living overseas was the food. I just had such a hard time finding food that I liked. some of you have traveled overseas. You know how it goes. You, you go to a restaurant and the waiters and the waitresses and the, the food vendors, they don't speak English and they have menus and if you're lucky you get a picture on it and you do kind of a lot of pointing and hoping and then they set something before you and you don't know what it is and you just hope it tastes good. Well, I was in China and I am an American and I have an American sweet tooth and I was missing sweet food and 
I walked by a bakery and I thought, no way, is there really a bakery here in China? That's like, that's too good to be true. And, and I looked at it, looks like a bakery. I, I went in and they had baked goods behind glass. And it, this is a bakery. They had one that looked like a croissant that was filled with, you know, some sort of jelly or maybe cinnamon or something. And I was like, oh boy, this, this could really be the answer. So I, I pointed, you know, I give me that one and a guy got that one and I paid for it. And I took that thing and I took a bite of it. And it was nasty. It was just, it was, I, I, a friend of mine told me later, I think I got this right, it was bean paste filling in there. <laughs> oh, man, you take this croissant and you fill it with bean paste. Like, no, <laughs> it did not at all provide what I was hoping that it would provide me. And I think that's the way that it goes with the world here. There are things that look so good to us and we take them and we realize they're just not at all good for us. In 1 John 5.19 it says, The whole world is under the control of the evil one. So we're not just talking about planet Earth here. We are talking about the wicked forces of evil that would tempt us into a lifestyle that would lead us away from God. <coughs> the world promises things to us, things like satisfaction and purpose and pleasure. But as the theologian David Jackman says, the world and behind it the devil cannot produce what it offers. And the problem with the world isn't just that it's out there. It's not like we just need to run quickly into our houses and close the doors and pretend it's not out there. The problem is, if we're honest with ourselves, that we sometimes crave what the world offers. So we must not love the world. Otherwise, as John says, the love of the Father isn't in us. And what is this love of the world? Well, John tells us exactly in verse 16. He says, For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. So as our flesh longs for these things of the world, as opposed to the things of God, it leads us astray. When our desires bend and conform to the pattern of this world, we actually drift away from the Father. So John commands us not to love the world. And we need to watch our hearts. And again, the point here, like I've been saying repeatedly in this book, the point is not just to watch our actions. The point is to investigate our hearts and to see what's going on there. And to ask ourselves, why do I go for that? I see these things of the world. Why is it that I'm drawn to them? Why do I choose to follow those ways instead of God's ways. You ever notice that the things that you love, you become more like? I mean, you can think about a, a couple that's been married for 50 years and they kind of start to resemble each other in the way that they act, the way that they talk, because they love each other. <coughs> or you think about anything in this world that you love, whether it's a, a hobby or whatever it is, if you love it, you become more like it. Now, the, the opposite is true as well. The more that we love Jesus, the more that we become like him too. So here's the crux of the matter. is that we have to choose. We can't be devoted both to God and to the world. It doesn't work that way. Because if we follow the world, what we're really doing is following our own sinful desires and cravings. So we'll have to choose, and here's the question. Do you live for your own desires or for God's will? Again, verse 17, the world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God 
lives forever. So which one is it for you? Your desires or God's will? And really the question here is, who is your Lord? Because if we're following our own desires, what we've really done is set ourselves up as the Lord of our lives. But if we give our hearts to God, if we give our lives to Him, if we continually submit to Him and say, God, your way, not my way, then what we're doing is we're living rightly with Jesus Christ as the Lord of our lives. And that's what we were created for. That's where we will find true life and true satisfaction. Not in the counterfeit offers that come from this world, but in the sincere offer of life that comes from our God who loves us. So we need to be careful with our desires. Now some of our desires are good, like the desire to raise godly children. That's a good desire. We should do that those of us that are parents. Other desires are more neutral, or, or they're, they're good, but they can be taken out of proportion and they can become bad. And, and that's an important point, so let me explain what I mean by that. For example, the desire to relax. I oftentimes have a desire to relax. I, a lot of times my day goes like this. I, I work, put in a full day, and then I come home and I spend time with the kids, and by the time the kids go to bed, I'm tired, and I... I want to sit down on the couch and turn on some sports and just relax for a little bit. And I think that that can be good and healthy. I think that you know, our bodies were created to need some rest. But I also know that that desire to relax can easily turn into gluttony for relaxation, if I could talk about it that way. That, that we need to watch how much we're desiring these things. And again, whether that's relaxing or whether it's a hobby or what, whatever it might be, we need to check our desires and make sure that they're not mastering us, but that we're keeping them in check. And then other of our desires are just plain sinful. Like sexual immorality, for example. It's something that we're all tempted towards, and the Bible tells us to flee from sexual immorality. Now the solution here, if, if the warning is don't love the world, the solution according to verse 17, is that we would do the will of God. Now, it takes effort to figure out God's will. But that's exactly the sort of effort that we should be exerting in our lives. Remember from last week, one of the ways that we can love God, show Him our love, is to obey His commands. There are certain ways that God wants to lead us, and we should be putting effort into following Him, into figuring out what His ways are. That same theologian David Jackman says, doing the will of God is loving the Father. So we don't love the world. Instead, we seek out God's will and live our lives accordingly. Let's be people who are committed to that way of life. So that's the first warning, don't love the world. The second warning, don't deny the truth. Now that one sounds painfully obvious, doesn't it? Don't deny the truth. If something is true, why would I deny it? It seems like a no-brainer.